0: This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Some nights are longer than others. As a child, the longest night of the year for me was Christmas Eve. The whole Christmas season, I know as an adult, the Christmas season is gone in a flash and there's a flurry of shredded wrapping paper and then it dissipates and you throw it away and it's over. But for a kid, Christmas is the longest season of the year. Your tree goes up in early December and you just sit there waiting for presents to emerge underneath it. (laughs) Or maybe you're one of those households who kind of sadistically puts presents under the tree early and then makes them stare at the wrapped gifts and wonder what's inside for weeks. Christmas Eve, my sister and I would would always be like looking at the clock. We'd go to mass at the Catholic Church, then we'd go to my aunt's house for dinner, and then we'd be just looking at the clock, counting down the hours till we could go to bed. It was the only night of the year that bedtime could not come early enough. At 4.30, we'd say, can we please go to bed? We're so sleepy. (laughs) 5.30, 6.30, and finally we'd drag our parents out the door. We'd go up to our rooms and we'd lay in our beds and close our eyes and try to make ourselves fall asleep, but Christmas was coming. And and so we'd stare at the ceiling for hours. Drift off to sleep and wake up at 1 a.m. Is it too early? Try to fall asleep, 1.30, 1.45, 2 o'clock, 2.30. And then think, us, it's probably a good time to go wake up our parents. And we, 2.30 in the morning, it's time, it's Christmas. It's past midnight, let's go. And they say, go to bed. <laughs> 3.30, 4.30. We try it again, they'd say, don't talk to us until <laughs> 6 o'clock. It was hours away. I think as an adult, sometimes we forget the longing and the waiting that comes with Christmas. I think the same thing is true in this Christmas story that we read this morning in Matthew 1. We, we tend to read this and we're familiar with it and we think of this amazing Christmas morning where this miracle comes, where Mary gets word that she'll have a child and then Jesus is born and he saves us from our sins and it's like this firework spectacular in the sky. But Matthew 1 is a chapter all about waiting waiting and longing and expecting and holding on for a long, long time. You ever thought about the fact that Mary had to wait nine months before Jesus came? Have You ever thought about the fact that she had to wait 30 years until he started his earthly mission? That she hears this word that someday Jesus would save the people from their sins, and we keep hearing that Mary catches these things. She ponders them in her heart while she awaits the fulfillment of what God has told her. It's a, it's a long season of waiting. And for the people of God who are walking the earth in Matthew chapter 1, they are at the end of a very long season of waiting already. If you look at this chapter through this lens, it just screams at you all over the place. We, we know that there was 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. This promise that a forerunner would come and prepare the world for Jesus, and they waited for 400 years. The prophecy we hear from the book of Isaiah The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel was a prophecy that was given over 700 years before Matthew 1. Even as you read the first half of this chapter, we see this genealogy that reminds us that 13 generations have passed since the exile to Babylon, that these people have been waiting forever for God to speak. The truth is, when the proclamation came to Mary, it had been a long time since the people had heard from God. 400 years since the Old Testament. 700 years since the prophecies. 13 generations since Babylon. And yet these beautiful people have been walking the earth for centuries. Waiting. And hoping that God would start to speak again in the way he promised centuries ago. As we wrestle what it would mean to to long and to wait for a God who is silent, I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, when was the last time you heard from God? Well, some of us in this room can resonate with these people in this passage who've been waiting for a long, long time for God to speak. Not necessarily for an angel to show up and give you this miracle that you're going to give birth to a child. But maybe it's been a long time since your relationship with God was alive, was vibrant. Maybe there's a season in the past when things were good. But now God just seems quiet. It seems like it used to be day and now it's night. And this night has been the longest night for you. Maybe it's been weeks, months, years, decades since something went broken, something went dark in your relationship with God. And and you're here and you've been faithful. You read your Bible, you pray when you can, and yet truth be told, you're just waiting for God to reemerge in your life again. If that's you this morning, I do want to encourage you that this whole Christmas series over the next four, five, six weeks is going to be a time for us to wrestle with what it means to wait for God during the longest night. Well we look at Matthew 1, and that usually starts the Christmas season for us, but in this series, we're going to go back in time, 800 years before when the prophecy started, and ask ourselves, what happened? Why did God go silent? What did he have them to do while they waited? How can we act when God goes silent on us, and will he really fulfill his promises? Will our faith truly be alive again someday? So if you're in a season of darkness, of nighttime in your faith, Journey with the Lord, this is a series for you to connect with, to make sure to be at every Sunday, to catch up with online when you're out of town for Christmas. All of that because we're going to walk with God and through his word as his people in the Old Testament and new walked through the longest night in human history. To start our series, we're going to jump back in time, 700 years, to the book of Isaiah. If you do have your Bibles, you can turn back to Isaiah chapter 6. If you're a note taker, you're welcome to take notes that maybe you grabbed them in the book racks on the way in or on the app. If you missed a couple, I'm sorry I didn't warn you. Well, let's look at Isaiah chapter 6. And look at the origin of this silence. This was, in a sense, the last time God spoke about the Messiah. The book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies about Jesus, and yet it was written in the middle of the 8th century before Christ. So this was the last time God was speaking when these promises were eventually fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. As Isaiah's experience with God opens in chapter 6, we see him swept into the throne room of God and have this amazing, humbling, marvelous, humiliating vision of God in all of his majesty. Isaiah says, I see the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs each with six wings. With two wings they cover their faces. With two they cover their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. As the prophet Isaiah sees this, marvelous scene, he has one thought on his mind. We are doomed. Woe is me, Isaiah says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Almighty. When Isaiah experiences God in that marvelous way, the first thing on his mind is we are in deep trouble because we are a sinful people. I think it's significant that in the book of Isaiah, this season of silence, this long night the people experienced, happened during a season of sin. We are ruined. The people in Isaiah's day had a long list of sins that they were committing. And God told them over and over in the book of Isaiah. He says, you fast, you, you pray, you come to the temple, you sacrifice, but your hearts are far from me. You neglect the poor. You don't care about the widows, the orphans, the fatherless You're allying with foreign nations. You're worshiping pagan gods. You're creating these syncretistic worship practices. You're doing abominable acts. You people keep going through the rhythms and going through the motions of religion. But your community, your lives, they're a mess. I think it's significant that in Isaiah's day, the season of silence began with a season of sin. I think it begs the question for our lives, when we look back at the last time God spoke to us, did your season of silence begin with a season of sin? When we think back to the last time your relationship with God was vibrant, in your mind, is it a date? Or in your mind, is it, oh, my relationship with God was good before I, what? Until I left my wife. Things were great until I fell into that habit. I felt like God and I were really clicking, and then I got caught up with those people, and, and everything went down the toilet. My life was just starting to get better until I got the DUI. And, and you were in this season that you knew was wrong. Something happened, and it's like your relationship with God broke. And even when you came back to church and you came back to God and you came back to faith, it's like, it's like you had this injury that never quite healed right. And you look at this long season of silence and you wonder, did I do that? Did I break my relationship with God irreparably? Maybe you're here and you're going through the motions and your heart is, is Truly seeking after God, and yet in the back of your mind, you're wondering, will he ever show up again? Will he ever start to speak again? Will he ever make things right again? Will it ever be like it used to be? You could push back and say, you know what? That's not how it works, right? God brings forgiveness. God brings grace. And God does bring forgiveness. God does bring grace. But God, at the same time in the book of Isaiah, had two messages weaving together simultaneously. If you want to see this, you can read Isaiah 1-5 through or even 1-35 through this next week and watch how God tells two messages. One, God says, I have a great future for you. He says, I am going to build a kingdom through your people. I'm going to give you a Messiah. I'm going to make you unshakable. I'm going to create a mighty nation out of you. I love my people and I'm going to cause you to flourish. That's message one. And message two, God says, but you're not going to listen to me. And so I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to go quiet. I'm going to bring the pagan nations to come and destroy you. You're going to fall into captivity. You're going to be in Babylon. You're going to be crushed by Assyria. You are going to be destroyed by your nations because I do have great plans for you. But you don't want them. You see this message come out loud and clear in the first chapter of Isaiah. God tells the people, I want to do good for you, but you have to let me do good for you. And in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, God says, If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. In a sense, God says, I have a great future for you, but we can get there the easy way. Or we can get there the hard way. And I think, unfortunately, some of us, maybe all of us at some times in our lives, have chosen the hard way. Or people have come to us and said, don't make that choice you're about to make. Trust me, it's not worth it. Trust me, your life will be bad on the other side, but you did it anyway. And now you're reaping the repercussions of those choices. If you're about to make that choice, maybe the reason God brought you here today is so that you would stop from doing that terrible thing that you know is wrong, but you're anticipating asking God for forgiveness on the other side. God is patient. God is gracious. God is just. God is merciful. God forgives our sins, but don't don't take the hard way. And in a beautiful gesture, Isaiah finds himself in the throne room, and he says, woe is me, I am ruined, God, you should smite me right now. He confesses that he's unclean, his people are unclean, and God comes after him with a burning piece of fire. And then an angel stops before him and touches his lips and says, you've been purified. You've recognized your sin. You've confessed your sin. I will forgive you. And when you look back at that season of sin you had, have you ever asked God for forgiveness? Have you been just trying to kind of build your life back up and show God that you were really sorry? Or have you ever come to him and said, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. I need to be purified. I know I don't deserve it, God, but I, I need it. I need you to change me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to wash me clean. You know that verse that says, though your, skins, though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow? That's from the book of Isaiah. God says, I want to purify you, but you need to repent. And some of you are on the front side of stepping into bad choices. You need to stop before you get to the other side. Because Isaiah is a beautiful model of a person who repents and is purified, but at the same time, The people in Isaiah's day didn't listen. Isaiah goes to King Ahaz, and he says, Ahaz, I I met with the Lord. Here's a message for you. We are in deep sin, and we're anticipating getting into more sin. We need to stop. We need to clean up our act. We, We need to repent. We need to make good choices. We need to trust in the Lord and not go after life the way we want to. Ahaz, we have to turn this thing around, and Isaiah says to Ahaz, ask God for a sign. He's he's there. He's going to do good. Ask him for a sign. Ahaz says, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. Isaiah says, well, God's going to give you a sign anyway. He says, the virgin will give birth to a child. And we're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And if you trust the Lord, Ahaz, by the time this kid is old enough to eat solid food, the Lord will have delivered us from the hands of our enemies. Will you trust him? Don't make this choice. Don't go down that path. This child will be a sign for us. But Ahaz didn't listen. But the people didn't repent. And they walked down this long, bumpy road into the longest night. And by the time this child was born and weaned, the Babylonians were coming in and capturing Israelites and taking them off into 13 generations of captivity and scrambling to try to put the pieces back together again. And Whether you're about to make a decision that could change your life forever in a negative way, or if you have made a decision that has changed your life for bad in a negative way, I think one thing that will be helpful for you to understand as we walk through this text is that Repentance is a beautiful thing that takes away guilt, but sometimes consequences of our sin remain. That doesn't sound like a nice, helpful thing for me to say, but that is an immensely helpful thing for me to say if you're about to make a bad choice. If you're saying, you know what, I'm just going to leave my wife, and I'm going to ask God for forgiveness, and he's going to build it up together on the other side. God will forgive you if you truly repent, but sometimes there's consequences. And sometimes there's seasons and years and decades where God goes silent on you, where your life is falling apart. And yes, God has forgiven you. And yes, God is returning to you. And yes, God has a plan for you, but it's you've chosen the hard way. Don't choose the hard way. I say to you what Ahaz said to, or Isaiah said to Ahaz, do what is right. Don't go down that long, rocky path. When God purified Isaiah, he, he told them that I want you to go and I want you to preach this message of repentance to the people and tell them they need to turn their ways. Tell them they, they need to avoid these bad choices. And God says, here's what I want you to tell them, though. Tell them, keep on listening to me without hearing me. Keep on looking at me without really seeing me. Keep on sitting there in my audience without taking this message to heart. Because, hey, if you'd listen, you'd be forgiven. And he gives him this sarcastic message to tell the people because God knew the people would not choose him. You know, sometimes we play that game of looking back and saying, if I would have just only not made that choice, things would have been better for you. And it's true, it would have not been better for you. But at the same time, there's this weird reality that God knew you would make that bad choice. God knew these people would make this bad choice. That was Isaiah's message. God said, I want to bless you. I want to do amazing things through you, but you're not going to listen, and so you're going to get there the hard way. Now, sometimes I look at Matthew 1, and I wonder, what would these genealogies look like if the people had not sinned in the days of Isaiah? The genealogies are really set up to be amazing. It's like there was Abraham, then there was David, then there was a kingship that led to King Jesus. But that's not what they say. It's Abraham, and then David, and then this long, staggering road into captivity, and then a release, and then 13 generations of silence, and then the Messiah came. Isaiah says to God, how long am I going to preach this message, this hopeless message to a people that aren't listening to me? And God says, let me tell you how long you're going to preach this message. Preach until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. Preach until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged. Preach until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. God knew the people would not listen. So preach until this mighty oak tree that is my people, is chopped down, shredded up, and the stump withers and dries out. Preach until my people are decimated. I've got this orange tree in my backyard, and I have like a black thumb when it comes to gardening, and (laughs) yet I have a sprinkler system, like a little drip thing, but it it broke on me and so I walked past the orange tree and it was all withery. I'm like, oh, I gotta water the orange tree. So I try to water the orange tree. It actually might be a lemon tree. This is how bad I am at gardening it. I water the orange tree. And it kind of started to come back, but I never fixed the drip thing. And so then it started dying again. And then like two weeks ago or a month ago I walked past and it's just like it still has the same form, but the leaves are gone, the oranges are gone. There's like a little shriveled up like prune orange on the ground and and it is dead, right? It's crispy. Like you go over that and like you, like you could just break off a branch. And I, and I thought, you know, I should get rid of this. But at the same time, like I feel like I did this, right? I need to, I need to look at what I did. I, I killed this living thing. I, I neglected it. And the side of this is that's the message that God gives to Isaiah. He says, I, "I want you to preach until the people wither and dry out, and you can just snap their branches off. Their faith is going to be crispy and whew, chaff in the wind. Their fields are going to be desolate. They're going to be living in a foreign land. It's going to be over." Now, that's our biggest fear, right? If we've been in a, se- in a season of silence, is that that's what God has done to us? That God has relegated us to this life that as long as we live, no matter how often we try and how much we come to church and how often we pray and how many times we tell God again, I'm sorry for what I did. Our faith is just going to continue to shrivel and die and dry and turn crispy so that someday our fear is that God can just come to us and go, and we're gone. That's what God tells Isaiah, preach until that happens preach until my people see the consequences of their actions. And yet the beautiful thing about God's message to Isaiah in chapter 6, and in the first five chapters, and in the first 35 chapters of Isaiah, is that woven together are these two promises, that, that one, God is going to bring judgment, God is going to bring decimation, God is going to bring enemies. God is going to bring plagues. God is going to bring everything down on his people to show them they need to turn to him. And two, God does have a beautiful future for his people. You get this image of a dried up stump in the midst of this passage. This is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. God says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And Bible scholars say this is one of the most explicit references to Jesus and how Jesus will emerge, that from this withered, dried-out field, from this withered, dried-out stump, from this orange tree, this grapevine that's withered and dead and crispy and cut down and it's just a dead stump on the ground, that's where life is going to come. And I walked out last week to my orange tree, and sure enough, there's this, like, green shoot coming up. I'm like, I thought you were dead. Welcome back, right? Right, and on one hand, this is a picture of Christianity, that Jesus died and resurrected, that things that are dead are not hopeless, right, that things from the dead come back from the dead, that God brings life to the dead, and God's message to Isaiah and the people is, I'm going to let you wither and dry out, and then you're going to come back then fruit will be born. If you're living that dried up faith of a life, there is life coming. There is a shoot forming. And in God's people's day, it took 700 years. But we see this beautiful picture of Jesus coming out of the context of this darkness. Isaiah 9 and Matthew 4, God says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Isaiah 9, 6, God says, For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see that even in the midst of this darkness, right when God is saying you're going to wither up and die, God starts forecasting life. And for you, if you are someone who's in this land of darkness, you're in the longest night, you're shriveled up and dying in your faith, take heart for those of you who know and trust Jesus. Life is coming. Life is coming. It doesn't necessarily mean life is coming after you die. We'll see next week. God has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And when I think about my orange tree, I'm very glad that I didn't uproot it and throw it in the green waste bin because there was still life in there. And if your faith feels like God needs to uproot you and throw you into the burn pile, there's still life in there. But I think we need to learn as we get ready for life to come back that sometimes there's a long season of darkness before the dawn comes. Before Christmas morning, is a long Christmas Eve. Before the shoot comes from the stump, it has to wither and die completely. And if you feel like you're at the end of your rope because you've been waiting for a long time for life to come back, one of the messages we receive in Christmas is, life is coming. The challenge for us in these times of darkness is our threefold. One, turn to God. Jesus gives this beautiful picture. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, I will abide in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You'll be like a branch that withers and dies and should be thrown out and burned. But if you remain in me, if my words remain in you, you will bear much fruit. You might feel like you're dead, but turn to God and cling to him because he is where life flows from. Turn to God. Trust that growth is coming Soon. You may look dead. Your faith may feel dead. But life is coming. And take a deep breath. (laughs) This can be a slow process. Sometimes things look dead for a long time before they come back. And some plants in my front yard this week, they just all turned crispy and died. And yet I know I'm going to cut them down. And in the spring, they're going to come back again. And yet sometimes winter is long. Sometimes God gives you a promise, even today, I'm going to bring life to you, and yet you're going to have to wait for life to come. You can't make it come. Next week, we're going to step into the book of Isaiah near the end, or Jeremiah, where God talks about how to live in the land of darkness. How do you navigate this world when when the goodness is not flowing? Where do you turn? What do you do when you're living in Babylon, when you're in captivity? How do you go from Babylon to Bethlehem? And yeah, this week, all you need to know is life is coming if you cling to Jesus. But you might have to wait for it. Like a kid waiting for Christmas morning, like Mary waiting for 40 weeks to pass. Like Mary watching her child grow and wondering what's he going to become. How is this all going to come together? Like a people waiting for 400 years, 700 years, 13 generations for this prophecy in Isaiah to be revealed. You might have to wait a while for the stump of your life to start to bring fruit again. Christmas morning seems like a long way away. But trust me, it's worth the wait. Cling to the Lord, even in the longest of nights."